You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors. I call out to mine. I call out to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us, those who carry that legacy forward so that the living may draw on the wisdom of the past, that we may learn from those who've gone before us and understand how to do things in a good way, to do things based on those many, many humans who have already lived lives, have been challenged with precisely the same things we are challenged by and have discovered through their own sweat and labor and inspiration and intuition that there are better ways to do things. And so I call out to these ancestors to stand strong and true with us here, us, the living, and help us to learn from those who have gone before us to bring those things into manifestation in our lives so that we can focus our creative juices on the things our time is calling directly and immediately and uniquely calling on us to bring answers to in our time. So may our ancestors help us to hold the ground that we have already claimed uh, as wise humans and to stand there and to go forward in ways that allow us to open ourselves and learn from what is really going on around us, to accept that which is inconvenient and uncomfortable, and to open up to the potential that these uh, places of friction and discomfort can bring us into the people that we are truly holding that potential and possibility of being. May we inspire our descendants to go beyond that which they imagine into that which is only possible because they learn from us how to trust deeply in their own uniqueness, allow the ancestors to support them, and the descendants to inspire them. So may we remember this as we go forward, giving gratitude to those human ancestors that gather around us and call out to the non-human ancestors, those who have been here even longer than the humans and are even that much wiser for their time spent here. And we ask them to help us to remember ever more quickly our own true nature, to understand the place that we play in that great symphony of existence here and to do that in a way that brings blessing to this fabric of life. And so we give gratitude to our helping spirits in their many, many forms. We give thanks to them for gathering around us. And now we take a nice deep breath and begin to gather ourselves from wherever we might be, all the many places we might be multitasking in this moment and draw our awareness into our head, from our head to our heart, our heart to our belly, and from our belly, let us reach down to the earth and take a moment and give thanks. Give thanks for this day. Give thanks for your life. Give thanks for the potential and the possibility that exists in this life alongside with the challenges and the distractions. We give gratitude for all that is in the fabric of our life. We give thanks for being incarnate here at this time. And we give deep, deep gratitude to the energy of the earth for this place that we journey on and all the many resources here that support us along that journey. So with endless gratitude in our heart, let us reach down through all the layers of the earth, giving gratitude to each layer as we go, reaching all the way down to the very center of the earth. Taking a moment and anchoring yourself firmly there. And letting yourself settle into those energies that are so valuable in our life that draw their power from darkness. All that comes to us when we close our eyes. 
all that is rich and uh, rewarding from its power coming out of stillness, coming out of darkness, coming out of solitude, coming out of quiet. And as we reach down into that energy of the earth that nourishes and replenishes in the way that no other energy can, we draw this energy up into our bodies and into our day. And as the energy of the earth rises into our bellies, let us reach uh, into this energy to help us understand how to be manifest in form in a good way. In other words, where do we stand? You know, who are we? Where do we stand? What has heart and meaning? And then to draw on that awareness to build your life on what has heart and meaning. And to do so in a way that you never close your doors to that which would challenge you to be different. Because as long as we are still breathing, there is a possibility of change and transformation. So we call out to the other to be with us in our life and to challenge us to be more than we were when we woke up this morning. We give gratitude to the earth for all of these teachings, how to be in better relationship with aspects of ourself, better relationship with that which lives around us, humans and otherwise, better relationship with our environment and ultimately with the spirit world. And as we stand in a firmer, uh, more heart-centered foundation, let us reach our energy up from our belly to our heart, our heart to our mind, all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And take a moment and connect there to these radiant divine light, that which uh, brings to us the essence of blessing. By whatever name you call this energy and whatever way you conceive of it, connect with it and begin to draw it down into yourself and into your day. We draw in the energy of blessing and protection, the energy that inspires commitment and devotion. We call in inspiration and illumination and open ourselves to benevolence of this universe. Allow yourself to settle in to this energy that can be the light in the lighthouse of the great storms that move around us politically, socially, emotionally, environmentally. In all the many ways that things are swirling and changing, let this energy from above be that light in the lighthouse and bring that clarity into your own mind, into your own heart, into your own belly. And as you send the sky energy down to connect with the energy of the earth, have the idea that you could be one with this energy in such completeness that you yourself could begin to function as a lighthouse for humanity. So as the energy of the earth and sky come together, these two great legendary lovers, let the big love that is the essence of these two energies connected and combined within you to awaken the spirit of your heart. And let your heart open to that crucible of transformation that lives within it. And may you find courage in your heart to reach into that crucible to draw those energies in that are so paradoxical within you and to in your heart discover that sense of why you are here, that memory or inkling. And whatever it is that you find there in your heart, may you have the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring what is unique to your heart into manifestation in the world. And for all the spirit help that we each have to do this, I give thanks. Remember that whether you believe in them or not, they do believe in you. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So why shamanism now is listener supported? And so I would like to give thanks to Tanya and Francis, to Sarah, Rebecca, Jessica, Elizabeth and all the other listeners who have donated to the show. Those of you who are able to donate financially, I am deeply grateful for you are helping me to keep this show live and on the air and free and available in the archives. The archives are available at cocreatornetwork.com, iTunes, and whyshamanismnow.com. And there's over 400 hours of podcasts about the practical application of shamanism in your contemporary life. And so I am grateful for those of you that support the show financially. 
Um, grateful for those of you that support the show uh, experientially by taking these teachings into your own life, into your own practice, into your own journey circles, learning to journey, um, challenging yourself with the different ideas that are shared here on this show and beginning to advance your own practice um, in your own life. And in this way, may we all become the people, the new people who are able to write a truly new story that shapes a truly new world for those who are coming. So thank you all for your efforts, large and small, that help me in this process. So we are live today, and if you have questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, and you're also welcome to email me at any time at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So today's show is about integrating shamanic peak experiences. Um, the last few shows have been a new show with Rachel Harris about her book, Listening to Ayahuasca, and much of that conversation was also about integrating experiences with plant medicines. And then we have also uh, ran some old shows with Steve Baer that I really love about working with the plants. Um, but as these shows were running, uh, many people... Uh, emailed with questions about integration and about some of the ideas that Rachel expressed in her show. Um, and so for me, I've spent the last weekend uh, continuing this process I've been engaged in for six months of developing online courses that will be available to you, the radio show listeners all around the world, assuming we have an email to communicate with you about. Uh, so you should go to whyshamanismnow.com if you want to be on the email list for these online classes and enter your name and email address so that we can let you know what's going on in a timely fashion. Okay. But with that said, my point is I have been thinking about, you know, what needs to happen, uh, to offer live transformational online courses. So I've been thinking about what allows us as humans to truly transform. And in that, of course, is the importance of integration if our goal is true, sustained transformation. And so at the core of any conversation about integration is this fact of being human. And humans search for meaning. They ask the lasting and perpetual questions in every um, every incarnation, every phase of human existence, humans still ask, where are we? You know, what is this place that we live on, right? What is this earth? Where is it? Where are we in a bigger picture, right? Why am I here? What does it mean? Right? What am I supposed to do with that? And for some people, um, they also ask, uh, what happens after death? Some people don't bother, but some people do. And I would suggest that humans are actually at their best when they are engaged in a life, in their life, in a way that brings answers to these questions. Not all the time every day, but that they are engaged in their everyday life in such a way that they are having experiences that help to illuminate answers to these big questions, the big life questions. Um, and ultimately... Uh, engaged in their life in a way that brings answers that allow their life to be meaningful to them. And so conversely, I am actually also saying that humans pretty much fall apart sooner or later if they don't live in a way that uh, allows them to find meaning in life. That, that to find meaning in life is important to sustaining the general well-being of being a human. So a life of meaning, um, conversely, you know, is a life that brings people again and again to these questions. Um, we're at, and we're at our best when we are having, on and off, deeper and deeper experiences that answer these questions of why am I here? Where am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with that? And that we, in this way of living, we begin to experience our own innate value. Not not the perceived uh, grandiose value of an unhealthy ego or even that elusive value derived from external validation. 
But what I mean is this experience through challenging uh, our life to answer these questions, we have this experience of our value, a growing experience of our innate value, and ultimately an awareness of that value in a larger fabric of life. And so my point is that humans seek altered or alternate states of consciousness because they seek these answers. And I have often in the encyclopedia, but also in the show, referred to anthropologist Erica Bourguignon's findings um, from a book published back in 1972, but she studied 488 societies around the world. That's a lot, I think. And she found that over 90% of these societies have institutionalized ways of entering um, an alternate state or trance. And in other, in other words, that means these people live in a culture that says, yes, as a human being, you need to find meaning in life. And here's a way you can alter your state in a way that's repeatable and sustainable and will help you begin to glean your own answers to these questions. So that's literally what I'm saying without getting um, new agey about and romantic about altered states. All I'm saying is most of the societies in the world get it. They get that humans need answers to these. And I think living in a culture that's having an opiate crisis and living in a state in particular that really uh, over the last couple decades has really overprescribed uh, pharmaceuticals for mental health and, and, our, and in that has already seen statistically that it's failing as a solution to give people answers to these deep questions, which is where this is really coming out of. Okay. But anyway, back to my point is that this desire to enter these alternate states was then in the beginning and is now um, about wanting to find a valid uh, – is that we have this valid innate drive within us that's as valid and innate as thirst or sex or the things that is are, are quote-unquote accepted – um, in the study of psychology as being the things that drive us. But what I'm saying and what I believe Bourguignon saying and certainly Rachel was saying is that we are also driven by this need of our soul to answer these questions, to find meaning to the question, why am I here? And that this, I mean, Really, honestly, you know, what else is at the root of people's depression and anxiety? At the root of it. Right? Anyway, back to the topic of today's class. This is, today's show is in, in many ways to, to really answer these listeners' questions. We have to talk seriously about what is the point in all of this? Why are we doing it? And so what I'm saying is this is why we're doing it. I don't believe anybody should want to train to be a shaman because they want to be a shaman. That the calling of whatever our soul's purpose is, is ultimately coming out of a deeper question, coming out of our very human experience of being a physical body inhabited by a soul, of it wanting to know meaning in life, deep meaning in life. And my point of this is, and the answers are there. If you are willing to learn and practice in a responsible way, a way to enter and engage in an alternate states of consciousness. Okay, so where was I? So, in, in, in the contemporary American culture, which is very similar to other Western cultures around the world, but this is the only one I can really speak to because it's the only place I've lived in any length of time. So culturally, we Americans have endless ways to alter our states and few of them are transcendent or initiatory. Most of them are addictive, many literally and physically addictive, meaning biologically addictive, but others simply inspire us to have addictive relationships with them, like smartphones, very addictive relationships. I don't actually think the phone is uh, 
physically addictive the way many of these substances are that we engage in, but addictive nonetheless. So my point is that we engage in most of these altered states in this culture as a form of escape and that they don't lead us to the quality of our alternate consciousness that um, can take us to these experiences that begin to answer the big questions. And so to me, this is the big distinction between sort of normalizing recreational drug use and, and all of the other things, technology, sex, work, all these things we get addicted to to alter our states, coffee, sugar, all these things, right, is the distinction between um, altering your state out of an addictive motivation versus altering your state out of a true soul-felt desire to answer the deep questions. And so this is where shamanism and shamanic practice come into my life. Not because I had this moment where I thought, oh, I want to be a shaman, but because I had a lot of moments that deep at the root of my depression of wanting to understand why am I here? If I'm going to be here, what meaning is there in this? How do I live a life of meaning? And so for me, this everyday working relationship with spirit gave me the ability to organize myself relative to the transcendent or initiatory moments that happened along the way in my life. And it allowed me to integrate those peak experiences um, to change the quality of my life by changing the person who was experiencing my life. And so that the point I'm making is no one taught me to integrate that, that the desire, the understanding of the need to integrate comes out of that human understanding that I'm doing this because I'm seeking meaning in my life and I don't want to repeat. Who wants to be held back in first grade for their entire academic career? Nobody, right? But, but this is largely what people are doing. And I never wanted to get held back in first grade. I wanted to move on to second grade and third grade, and I wanted to keep learning. And the only way to keep learning in this whole life-meaning altered state arena of life experience is to choose to integrate. So let's return to Rachel. And ultimately, some of the questions that listeners had after listening to Rachel's show, which I personally really enjoyed – Deeply, It's one of my favorite shows in the 400 hours in the archives um, and that I believe her book, Listening to Ayahuasca, is an important read, particularly for people um, that want to support people who are using ayahuasca but also for people who are choosing to use ayahuasca, which is a lot of people these days. So I encourage both groups of people as Rachel did. I mean she wrote the book, book for both groups of people. Okay. So with that said, in her book, she writes, the function of the liminal state is to deconstruct one's former identity, the liminal state, right? And so if you're going to be doing ayahuasca, supposedly intentionally engaging in the use of altered states, you need to learn the language, right? Okay, so here we are. In English, the function of the liminal state is to deconstruct one's former identity allowing the person to reemerge with a changed identity. The liminal phase is clearly preparatory to recalibration, restructuring, resetting, reprogramming, reorganizing, reconfiguring, deconditioning, and the rewiring process. All of those things potentially happening through the use of ayahuasca. So this is what Rachel's talking about. So let's define liminal space. So the word liminal comes from a Latin root meaning threshold, which is any point or place of entering or beginning. Okay. For me, this is too static a definition for this purpose of today's topic, right? That 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 idea that this is a point or place of entering or beginning sets you up to think that this is something that you can repeat or control. For example, if I get up from my desk and I go to the left, I can go through a threshold, which allows me then to enter outdoors. If I turn to the right, 
I can cross through a different threshold, which allows me to go more deeply into my home. And every time I turn left, I can go outside. Every turn I go right, I can go into my home. It becomes something I can depend on. When we're talking about the liminal state and the threshold inherent in the liminal state, we're not talking about something that's that concrete, right? Uh, so it's not really like walking through a door, although it is, right? You can choose because you can choose to walk through any door and then return. I can go outside and then I can come back in. And that I know for sure, once I go outside, I can come back into the same place. That's missing an inherent piece of liminal state. So I think an actual scientific definition of threshold is more valuable. For me, it always has been more relevant to this conversation here. So in chemistry, for example, the threshold is a point at which multiple external variables – come together in such a way that the substance is present, so for example, the chemicals in a chemical reaction, right, suddenly begin to react with each other in ways that transform their state. Okay, so if you're entering into an altered state, you're the chemical reaction. And so that threshold is the point at which a whole bunch of multiple variables come together in a certain way where you – and who you were moves into a state in which you're now being changed in a way, just like the chemicals in a chemical reaction are turned into new organizations. They become new molecules. So they can't just go back when those threshold conditions pass, like the Bunsen burner gets turned off and the heat goes down. They don't necessarily just go back to what they were before. They've gone through a transformation that makes them new molecules. There's no going back through the threshold. And if you're really going to understand liminal space and the desire to use it to transform, then you need to understand that liminal space threshold quality, not just like a doorway, but really more like the threshold conditions that allow a certain experience to run its course, a certain inner inner chemi- inner alchemy to run its course. Okay, from this perspective then – A liminal space is a space-time experienced between what was and what's next. And from the perspective of a human experiencing a liminal space, it is a space-time of transition of waiting and not knowing. Okay, so why does this matter? Because entering a liminal space is necessary for the transformation to take place. Remember Rachel's quote about the liminal uh, phase is preparatory for recalibration, restructuring, etc. So we need to be, you know, taken apart before we can reorganize things and put them back together in a new way. So the psychological wisdom, psychological wisdom is that once in a liminal space, We now learn to wait and let it, the liminal space, form us. Okay, so this guidance suggests a passivity as the only alternative to the ego jumping up and seizing the reins and sending us back through the threshold. But again, that fact that you could even go back through the threshold, it begins with a kind of misunderstanding in the first place, I think, from a shamanic – if we're going to look at this from a shamanic perspective – And so – but this whole idea, this passivity in our understanding of the liminal space, like all we have to do is get to this liminal space and learn to hang out there and everything will then take care of itself. No. This is, I think, the fundamental reason, fundamental thinking why people don't integrate. That integration is an intentional act and you've just been guided by those wise people around you to be passive. Now, I agree, your old ego is not supposed to jump up and go, ooh, I'm uncomfortable, I'm in a liminal space, things aren't the way they should be, let me grab the reins and drive drive it back. I totally agree with that. But it's also not passive. And so the question here is, how do you learn to be in the liminal space and have the intention move you through that space so that you integrate 
into the next. You remember it's what was and what could be. You want to move to what could be, which means you, you have to move. It's an intention. Integration is an intentional act. It does not just happen for the most part. Some amount of integration does just happen to a degree, but not to the degree that we're really talking about in terms of shamanic transformation. Okay, so for the purpose of this conversation, it is not a passive act. Integration is an intentional act that we engage in over time. And integration is a thing then, and it requires something to be integrated somewhere. And so integration is a variable, you, the something, you become a variable as you move into a true liminal state and all the old linkages fall apart. But then the question is, what's getting integrated back into whom or into where, right? So where you're going is also a variable. And this is the reason people aren't very good at integration. Not only do they not think they need to do it because they've been told they should be passive, but they're not good at doing it because everything's a variable. It's math with no numbers. It's that level of mental education most people don't go to in our academic world, math with no numbers. It's that willingness to move out of the quantifiable and learn to track through sensation, through quality, through the felt sense of things. And that is where shamanism and sort of the Venn diagram of psychology and shamanism, that's where you lose you move out of that overlap place between psychology and shamanism and start moving into the realm that is not explained via psychology. It is only explained through the eyes of shamanic thinking. And this is, again, part of the beauty, I thought, of Rachel's work is she, as a trained psychologist, did feel, experience, and know in her mind the distinction between her psychological way of thinking, which is valid, and the shaman's way of thinking, which is also valid, and they are not the same. Okay, so what we're talking about today relative to these shamanic liminal states is the intentional integration, right, the something and the somewhere. And in this, timing is also important. As Rachel describes, there is a grace, she says in her book, there is a grace period following intense entheogenic experience. So the intense altered state. Um, a sense of rejuvenation when the opportunity for change is optimized. Okay, so yes, she's saying we, we have this experience, we get moved into the liminal state, all of a sudden there's all this potential and possibility and we feel rejuvenated by that. That in and of itself is not enough. It's, it, it, it is, she's saying this exists, but then she goes on to say this, this is the nature of the prime time for working. It is a window of flexibility. As the old patterns are interrupted, there is an opportunity to create new connections, alternate ways of seeing the world and new ways of being. I agree with that. And what I am saying today, as clearly as I possibly can, is that will not happen. You will not be able to maximize the potential of creating new connections, um, alternate ways of seeing the world and new ways of being if you are passive. So that window, because this window Rachel's talking about, this grace period, this time when there's this huge opportunity for change, closes naturally. And it will return to the energetic patterns of the previous state if you do not intentionally choose to create new patterns. So this window will close naturally and the old systems of beliefs beliefs will naturally reestablish themselves. They may organize at a sudden, a subtly different version of the new pattern, but it will still be the same pattern and they will, they will reestablish themselves in either an organized way or a disorganized way. And so what I mean by that is I often receive calls from people that have done um, like a 10-day silent Vipassana for the first time in their life. They have a break with reality during that experience and they don't have 
um, the means internally yet to integrate that experience. And so they reorganize themselves, but in a very disorganized way. So they just try to get back. They get, try to get their feet back on the ground, try to get back to the life they had before they had the experience, while at the same time, part of them wants to hold on to that liminal state that they did connect with there. And so the sort of reorganization of self, uh, because the integration is not being guided and supported, is it gets reorganized in a very disorganized way. And most of the people don't function all that well going forward. And there's a lot of... Um, aftershock uh disconnect with reality. And so again, this is this is an experience where traditionally in the in the olden days of 10-day silent vipassana retreats, right? It's possible that that kind of integration wasn't necessary because people lived in a very different cultural time. But for contemporary people of the western world, you don't have that culture anymore. And the idea of doing this without knowing you have people that can support you to integrate that experience, assuming it works, is irresponsible towards yourself and your process. Now, I also have people that call me that do 10-day silent Vipassana retreats all the time. It is their means by which they transform, and they do a great job integrating these experiences themselves. But they didn't start there. They started with the help of teachers. They're certainly there now and do it, you know, retreat after retreat year after year. But again, it's understanding where are you in this process of having answered the questions. Where are you? Why are you here? Who are you? What are you? People that are able to integrate themselves have some decent answers to those questions already. They have meaning in their life. And they have a sense of innate value for themselves in that life. And that whole life fits in their own way of understanding cosmology in a bigger world. And because they have gotten to a place through their process where they have answers and meaning that their liminal states they access and the integration after is something they can do themselves. But at the beginning... Most humans can't because we're coming out of a culture that has given us no skills to accurately understand the liminal state slash integration process. But more to the point, we're, we're beginning the process of altering our state to get at the beginning answers to who am I and why am I here and where the hell am I and what's the point? We don't have a sense of meaning yet. And so that's why I started this show about integration with the questions about deeper meaning is because they are absolutely fundamental to understanding the answer to the question, why do I need to integrate? Why doesn't it just happen? Okay, so I hope that's clear. So what I was saying is if you do not choose to integrate, the window of possible change will close. Right? So... In other words, the liminal space you've got into is not the point. It is a possibility. It is essential, but not complete. It in and of itself is not the point, but it is the beginning of the process that can happen and open you to the potential that you don't have access to when you stay the person that you were. The potential exists but in the organization of who you were, you don't have access to it anymore. And so the purpose of moving into the liminal state is to shake things up, break things apart, so that you can actually re restructure yourself, um, reallocate resources, actually. What are you going to let go of? What dies off? What do you reach forward to? All these different um, perspectives through the in, in integration that allow you to reorganize yourself in a way that is one organized and therefore functional but too new it's not the same way that you were before okay so for that to happen for you to actually realize the incredible potential and possibility in accessing these liminal states and i'm leaving that really open because there's a lot of ways to access those states you don't have to do plant medicines they're not the only way to do it but you can um anyway not to get off topic, back to my point, is the possibility and the potential. And to realize that two things have to happen in your integration process, your intentional 
integration process. One is that you identify and delete the underlying limiting beliefs that have been exposed in this process or could be exposed as you integrate the process. Because sometimes in a liminal state, all you get is the paradox of what was and what could be. And so part of the integration is beginning to discern and choose and integrate the choice. Okay. But anyway, so my point is if if the limiting beliefs have not been exposed, you need to expose them. But either way, that which limits needs to be released and deleted like old code and something else needs to replace them. You need beliefs. Ultimately, you want a very high-level, simple system of beliefs that are profound, deep spiritual truths that pretty much end up being a valid answer for almost everything. You don't want a complex web of beliefs because the complexity comes as you're out here taking action in the world. If you start out with complex beliefs, you're kind of screwed by the time you're trying to get to a clear action. So you want your beliefs to be universal truths, deep fundamental beliefs. All things are one, for example. Okay. Anyway, so two things. Identify and delete the limiting beliefs and replace them with new beliefs. And the new existence you discern and choose as you're coming out of the liminal state, moving through the integration phase, the new Things that you choose need to be integrated through your actions into your life. You need to, in other words, let go of old habits and establish new habits. That which feels normal for us is really just our big fat life habit, right? And if you want to change your normal, then you're going to have to let go of old habits and open to new habits. And one of the things nobody wants to admit is no matter how many times you succeed in entering a liminal state, if you do nothing to change your old habits, they will not change. You have to choose to change them. You have to have the intention going in and follow that intention in your actions going out. Okay. So, in other words, the liminal space is not the point. It opens you up to access the potential. But it in and of itself is not the point. And to passively be in it and expect it to be the thing that changes you is to not understand from a shamanic perspective why we as human beings engage in altered states. So if we're going to integrate our own shamanic altered states and shamanic peak experiences and assist others in doing so, then we need to really understand that the Venn diagram of shamanism and psychology is two separate circles with a small place of overlap, but they are not the same circles. Psychology does not describe for you the full potential of shamanism and your shamanic experience. And shamanism does not describe for you the full potential of psychology, and particularly a what you gain from working with a good therapist, as Rachel was describing, that there is a lot of um, value to be gained through the good practice of psychology around organizing your contemporary mind so your mind is not running you, which, which for most contemporary people, because of the nature of our culture, your mind is running the show. You are not running your mind. You have become your mind. You've become identified with your mind. And so that freedom that can come through a good uh, work with a good therapist is invaluable for people that don't get that yet. They keep doing altered state after altered state, shamanism after shamanism, on and on and on. But because their mind is still running their show, they're not changing. It's very shallow. And so... Again, these two systems are valuable at their best. They are not the same. And so part of what I see a great deal of and am in being very outspoken about is we cannot allow the psychological world to presume that it is explaining in its entirety shamanism 
and that which we can access through shamanic practice. Okay, moving on. So, as I said, they are incredibly potent when you are in that place where those two worlds overlap in the Venn diagram, the idea of the two circles overlapping in one place. And that's what Rachel was really talking about in her book, Listening to Ayahuasca, the power and potential of engaging with a therapist who actually understands shamanism to the extent to assist you in integrating your liminal states, especially for those of you that are still at a stage of waking up, of opening to your new consciousness. You don't yet know how to hold that in perspective, and you don't yet have answers around the deep meaning in life and your own innate value. If you're still moving in that territory, yeah, a good therapist could be really valuable. And so, as Rachel said, there is a very real shift in worldview when someone enters into the shamanistic world. Psychologically, we don't really know how this happens or what it involves. And so, you and your therapist, you and your shaman, all of you need to keep that in mind. Um, but from Rachel, from what Rachel is saying, though, from her perspective, she says people who are new to shamanism can feel like they're coming home. You know, as they move into that purely shamanic realm in the Venn diagram, they feel that they've come home, but others also feel they're going crazy. And some people feel both simultaneously. Right? And so the question for people who are supporting those kind of people in integration is how do you do that? How do you support that? Okay, but back to integration. So integration itself is the process through which separate things are brought together, right? So if we follow along here, we entered our liminal state, everything fell apart, right, so that we could reorganize. And so the integration process is is the means by which we use the liminal state, which separated things, um, and we use the integration process then to bring them together ideally in a new way. So in the context of this topic of integration, we're talking about how we bring together aspects of ourself after an intense shamanic event that has succeeded one way or another um, in getting us to release the old linkages that held aspects of ourself together in a familiar way. Okay. So, integration. We have this act of bringing things together. And this is going to be an intentional process that's going to begin from the liminal state. That's the timing. It's like ready, set, go, because now things have been shuffled differently. And the things you're going to need to be aware of to integrate is time. It's a window of opportunity. So, for example, with soul retrieval work, I tell people you've got about two months to do this integration. That's the, that's the juicy window of opportunity. You drag things on a little bit beyond that and the window's closing and now you're slogging up the hill yourself. Okay. But anyway, so, liminal state has happened. You're beginning to do your integration. So time and timing matters. Your energy, that, that which, the time you commit to it, the energy you commit to it, affects the integration. The skills for self-engagement matter. In other words, do you have skills to reliably talk to yourself and to get answers back from yourself that surprise you? Like there's a lot of therapy processes that are about learning to talk to inner selves, right? There are others that don't. Do you have those skills to self-reflect and actually engage with your inner self? Good question. Matters a lot for integration. Another skills set of skills would just be internal awareness. Do you Have you cultivated the ability to look within yourself? There are many, many ways to do this. There's not only one way at all. There's many ways to do this. But do you? Have you practiced? Have you cultivated that skill or multiple versions of that skill. And then finally with intuition, another big part of this process is do you have access to your own intuition? Everyone has intuition, but do you use it? 
Do you talk to it? Is it a good familiar friend or someone that scares the crap out of you? Right? What is your relationship with your intuition? Do you use it? Is it strong? Or do you try to ignore it? Therefore, when you need it, it can't really show up much because it's kind of weak, kind of flaccid. Okay. So now integration. We have the something, right, that we are trying to integrate. In this case, it's yourself. And these are aspects of the self that have been freed from prior familiar association with each other. So depending on the experience, what you have to deal with, the something that needs to get integrated, it's going to depend on what experience you've had and what's gotten shaken loose. How did it get shaken loose? What what happened in that? So you have at very least a new understanding of your smallest self, you know, your ego identified self with your larger self or your soul self. Um, you may have experienced a kind of a removal or a death or a cleansing of some aspects of yourself. Um, in shamanic healing, there's always the possibility that you've received soul parts coming back. You could have been given a new perspective on selves that are dominant versus selves that have been are being subordinated by those dominant selves. Um, all This is all internal to you from this liminal state. You could be understanding archetypal selves differently. And you could have been given, for example, given access to the archetypal energy of mother that allows you to move beyond the personal relationship you have with your mother. Um, you could have an experience that is um, you relative to your own spirit or rather or relative to the great all that is kind of spirit. Sometimes, depending on the experience, you could have been exposed to see more clearly some of your own shadow patterns. There could be a shadowy aspect to this. And then there's a great big et cetera, right? Because the something you're integrating what that is, how that got shaken up is going to depend on the nature of the experience that you've had. won't be the same twice, ideally, if you're integrating. And then finally, the somewhere. Where are you, who, where are you integrating these somethings into, right? What's the somewhere? Uh, who or what are you integrating into? And so this is where cosmology really matters. So... Um, and this is also where our lack of a functional cosmology as contemporary people matters. If you go back to my example of the person in the Vipassana retreat, you know, having a great liminal experience and then having no idea how to reintegrate from that. Okay. Um, this is where having a trusted relationship with helping spirits can really help. Um, this is where having a tolerance for being in a liminal space, not being in control, being in the unknown can really help. You don't need to put things back together so fast. You're willing to trust your intuition and kind of helping you see new ways of doing that, trusting your helping spirits and showing you new ways of doing that. Um, in this category for integration, it also matters um, deeply in what your relationship is with your body. If you pretty much live out of your body, integration is really challenging because one way or another, every integration is integrating you into your body as your human, right? And then this is also where the health of your ego matters because the where, the, the, the who you're integrating back into, that potential can be completely robbed from you by an unhealthy and immature ego. It just grabs the reins back and just realigns everything to its best interest, thus robbing you of the potential of getting at the deeper nature of your soul and the reason that you're here. So for integration process to really create transformation then, so you've gone into the liminal state, things have been all shaken up, and you engage purposefully and intentionally in their integration to make sure this, this potential created by the liminal state moves forward into a reorganization and integration that is true transformation. You cannot go back through the door. It's impossible now. You have been made into something else. Okay. So you're going to need to delete old code. That old beliefs must be exposed. The you who holds the old belief must choose to let it go and a new belief, hopefully a universal belief, 
must be established in its place and become your new operating system. And integration requires all of these phases. Um, it may need to expose a belief. If the belief has been exposed in the shaman experience, which is often the case, then you, who depends on that belief, has to be engaged now. The you that depended on that belief that got exposed, that you has to be convinced that it can live without it. You, that you has to make a new choice. The liminal states only expose the belief. It can't unchoose it for you. That's the biggest power of integration. It's how you go back in and dot the I's and cross the T's by getting all these past versions of you to engage their free will in letting go of the things you're discerning to let go of and having that aspect of yourself reintegrate into your current self so it's no longer an aspect anymore. Um, and then the new belief has to be consciously chosen day after day after day in practice so it becomes your new normal. Okay, so this brings me to the listener questions finally here at the last few moments of the show. And so the listener question was simply this. It says, Dr. Harris suggests that psychotherapy is essential after an ayahuasca ceremony for many individuals' integration. But are there tools we can use on our own if regular psychotherapy sessions are not really a viable option? Which is possible for a lot of people. I understand. And the listener continues saying, can journeying, grounding, journaling, um, etc. receive similar results? And my response was that Dr. Harris suggests that integration is essential and encourages therapists to learn specific new things to assist people in that integration. Right? And so I reframed the listener's question to be, um, do we need therapy to integrate well? Now, to that question, my answer would be yes and no. And in many ways in the show, most fundamental way I've already answered the distinction. It depends on where you are relative to your cosmology that comes out of answering the deep questions. Okay. The, the, why are you here? And having an answer that resonates for you is true with that. Okay. So my answer though to the listener was yes and no. In my experience, most people have a lot of shallow skills or tend to use their skills in a shallow way that largely maintains their status quo. That people want to get out of discomfort. That's, that is a shallow use of a skill. Any skill worth using moves us into our discomfort and through it, right? So thus the need for another peak experience, um, it, it, and, and there's another jolt then of that spiritual high because they've gone back to their status quo. So now we need to jump into another liminal state. I need to keep reaching for that peak experience because I'm not integrating and transforming. So it's an addictive relationship. Okay, so that's kind of my yes and no. So can people learn to use their skills in a deeper way? Yes, that's the yes piece. Yeah, do they? Rarely. And critical in learning to use skills deeply is discerning clearly when do we actually need help. That is part of the advanced use of skills is understanding when do we need help. What help do we need? And in all of that, valuing the role of the witness in our personal work. Um, and, and for me, the key story around this was from Jose Stevens way many decades back talking about the very, very sort of famous, renowned, powerful shaman who was going to a vegetalista to uh, – work with another plant medicine and to have that person who is considered technically a lesser practitioner witness their process. And he's saying, why would you, you know, superpower shaman want this lesser shaman to be witnessing your process? And that superpower shaman said, because I'm a good shaman and I know that I am asking to transform here to see things differently. And I need a witness to help me not just recreate the old pattern, really recognizing in, in their deep mastery of shamanism the value for the witness at every stage of the journey. Okay, so the role of the witness is built into traditional shamanic processes and that is a, something we really disrespect and disregard in our romanticizing of these old ways. Um, 
in addition, there are things we must do for ourselves, and we can be pretty confused about that. But there's a lot of why shamanism now shows about that. So ultimately what the listener came to understand through the questions was that a piece of what I was getting around to saying is that he says, when I asked the question, I had the spirit canoe in mind and was wondering why those tribes could integrate fully without the addition of a psychotherapist. And he says, maybe the psychotherapist witness is a substitute for having a fully supportive family waiting to integrate the healing member back into society. And of course, this is the point. The listener is absolutely right, is we are not indigenous shamanic people. We are contemporary people ideally engaging in true, authentic shamanic experiences. But we need to do that with the wisdom of understanding what else do we need because we do not have those cultures that know how to help us integrate when we come home. So I give great thanks to the spirit world all around us that helps us keep learning and relearning these things even as we continue to forget them. I give gratitude to the earth below, the sky above, the ancestral energies and their many forms that are around us, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone, for listening.